Good morning. It's so great to be with you all. If you don't know me, my name is Abby. Um, I am a youth worker here at All Saints along with Catherine and the team. And like Tim said, um, I get to serve with Youth for Christ as well. Um, and I've gotten to be with you guys since August. Um, I'm mostly with the youth, so I thought I'd just introduce myself a bit more. Um, I am from America. I am from Pennsylvania along the East Coast. I'm 20 years old, so I graduated high school or sixth form um, back in 2020 during the pandemic. I've done a bit of university online here or there, but nothing super consistent. Um, I really like football, and I do naturally call it football instead of soccer now. Um, my favorite color is orange. I love really good espresso, the ocean, but most of all, Jesus. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I was saved when I was seven years old, and I do remember that day like it was yesterday. But as I continued to grow up and I was a young teenager, I made this bigger commitment that, you know, this is my faith and I want to live it out. But then as I got older and was an older teenager and had to make all of these decisions, um, that was another pivotal point um, because then I had to decide, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> so as the world came at me with, where are you going to go to school? Where are you going to go to university? What are you going to study? What job do you want? What do you want to do with that? What did you get on your exams? I really started to question, like, what is a successful life? And through the counsel and discipleship of others, I really became disinterested in university, um, not because of them, but just as I really sought the Lord, I was like, there's nothing else I could do with my life that would be as important as telling other people about Jesus. And that didn't come super easily. Um, there were still people, even in Christian circles, that were like, are you sure you don't want to just go to this public university and study marketing and you can, you can be a witness, you know, in your school and in your career? And I totally believe that to be true. Someone once told me that your mission field is where your feet are. And I totally believe that. But as I was growing up into my own person, I decided that my idea of success was one discipling others in Jesus. So this morning, I thought we could just reflect a little bit, um, and I want you to think about what is a successful life for you? Have you ever defined that for yourself? Do you consider yourself a successful person? Why or why not? And if you don't consider yourself a successful person right now, what would your idea of success look like? I love that Proverbs 3, uh, 5 to 6 were in our readings today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This verse was really helpful for, me, helpful for me when I was figuring out my life and it continues to do so. Um, and I really try to echo it on to our young people and others because I don't think I have to explain to you all the pressures that are coming from this world. I think especially as a young person, but as a young adult, adult, so on and so forth. And you know, this verse in Proverbs says, don't rely on your own understanding. But our understanding of success is coming from a culture that says you need a big house and a fancy car and a nice job, and it comes from what school you go to or how many followers and likes you have on social media. And culture is telling us that this path that leads to success is to do well on your maybe your GCSEs or in uni or to get married or whatever it might be. 
Culture and that path that's trying to get us to understand success is always leaving us looking for that next thing. So I wonder what yours is. Maybe it's once I have blank, then I'll be happy. Or if I could just blank, then I would be accepted. I don't know how you would phrase that for yourself. If I could just, if I could do this, if I could get this, if I could go there, then I would be happy, then I would be successful, then I would be fulfilled. But I wonder how, I wonder how God would fill in that blank. How does God define success? And should we aim to live a successful life as followers of Jesus? I want to go through three points that I came from our readings. Um, I think they're really applicable and really simple. Um, and how to be successful in wisdom, um, how to be successful with money, and in status. Um, and it's, it's, it's easier said than done, um, but when looking at success and wisdom, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say. You know, it's a theme that it repeats that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding and to seek his wisdom over the world's. And even this morning, verses 2 from chapter 3 said, Don't forget my teaching, but keep, keep my commands, for they will bring you many days. Stay in the word of God. Honor God with what you have. Chapter 3 was also telling us that God's wisdom is more valuable than jewels. And as far as money goes, if you look in the Gospels, the disciples asked Jesus, Should we pay taxes? And disciples said, whose face is on that coin? And they replied, Caesar's. So Jesus said, okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Money is just something we have to deal with. It's kind of a logistical thing. Um, but we can be faithful to God even in that. From our parable of the 10 talents in verse 23, um, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in my master's joy. We should be faithful stewards to what God's given us. And as far as status and role goes, a verse in Ecclesiastes came to mind. It's from chapter 2. It's verse 24 to 25. It says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? We all have our own jobs and roles of different positions, but we can enjoy those as gifts from God, seeing that he's given them to us. And to wrap up these three points of wisdom, money, and status, and how success plays into them, I think we just should remember the words of 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, even after those three points, that doesn't really give us an answer to what a successful life looks like. Where does that leave us? I think if you're like me, you might be asking yourself, what do I do with my life? And how do I let Jesus play a part in that? I can think of someone in the Bible who might have been asking these same questions. If you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 uh, for a few minutes here. And we're going to start in verse 17. So that was Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And this is the story of the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. Spoiler alert. Some of you are probably familiar with this story if you've grown up in the church, but if not, I'll try to walk you through it as we go. 
But we hear these stories a lot. I think this is one I've heard since I was this big, but um, I hope to kind of look at the context and look at it in a new way. So in chapter 5 of Luke, verse 17, we get a bit of background. It says, On one of those days, while he, meaning Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. So here Jesus is in Capernaum. Um, He's gone public with his ministry. Jesus did a few miracles like one-on-one and would kind of be like, don't tell anyone yet, but he was healing people and word was spreading. And Jesus had gone public with his miracles, if you remember the the wedding where he turned the water into wine. Um, But I don't know how this gathering started, but they're at someone's house. And maybe he called it to order, or I think he was probably just talking with his disciples, and people just kind of started to listen, and more people came. Because it wasn't uncommon for public readings and teachings to take place in the first century, as a lot of people may have been illiterate. But normally the people who were doing the teachings were the fancy Pharisees in their big elaborate robes. So the fact that this guy who looked average um, was teaching was really interesting. We also need to understand a few other things in the first century to get an idea of what was going on in this story. So you have the Jews and their culture and they're living under the Roman authority. This is a booming civilization and it had big ideas and expectations of what success is. But they were two clashing ideas of what success is. The Jews have theirs with um, the religious order that dates back thousands of years. And you have the Romans that was much more political um, and military focused. But introducing our character of the day, this paralyzed man, we don't know his name. um, He was probably paralyzed from birth. Um, And his hope of a successful life in the Jewish world or the Roman world was shattered. Remember that this is the first century. There's not wheelchairs or modern medicines. This man was stripped of any chance at success. He couldn't provide for himself or, or, or family, so he was looked down upon. He probably smelled awful, looked awful, and he was in a big state of desperation. But the story goes on, and luckily our paralyzed man has some really great friends. And verse 18 says, Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him down and set him, set him before him. But since they could not find any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him, th- lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So these are some great friends. You know, they probably had to carry him miles on a stretcher. That's a good friend. But they're looking and taking this guy to see this Jesus of Nazareth that they've heard, thinking maybe he can heal our friend and and give him a shot at a better life. But they don't know what to expect. So they show up, there's this big crowd, and they decide they're going to lower him through the roof. What an idea. But as they lower him through, I think everyone would have been like, what's going on? Like, what's happening? Like, this was not a normal thing. But Jesus is unfazed. He knows what's going on. Verse 20 continues, and Jesus says to this man, first words he says to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. And first of all, the fact that Jesus calls this man friend 
is quite significant. He was an outcast of society. But you know, if I was this paralyzed man, I probably, I think in this culture, in Jewish culture, they had an understanding of what sins are, right? Things that we say, do, or think that go against God. So I think he would have been like, okay, great, sins are forgiven. But if I was that guy, I would be like, wait a minute, where's my miracle? I still can't walk. For this man, that was his fill in the blank. If I can just walk, I can be happy. If I can just walk, I can be successful. I can have joy. But while I think all these questions might have been running through this man's brain, meanwhile, a different part of the crowd in this house, something else is going on. You see, the Pharisees had come up. And they have their big order of law that's been established for thousands of years. And for them, the only person that can forgive sins is God, which is correct. But if you remember the story of Israel through the Old Testament, that was done through a lot of um, systems and orders. So they're shocked that this man is coming and disrupting all of that. And that's what they're thinking. Verse 21 tells us, Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus perceived their thoughts. He reads their minds. And Jesus replied to the religious teachers, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Jesus continues, Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus tells the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Jesus wanted to prove to the Pharisees and to the people there to show them that he has the authority to forgive sins. The story goes on, it ends on a great note. 25 and 26 verses say, Immediately the paralyzed man got up before them, He picked up his mat that he had been lying on, and he went home, glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded. They were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. And you know, this is why Jesus came, to forgive sins. That's the complete work of the cross and the empty grave that we've just celebrated at Easter. That he died in our place and took the punishment of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. But it's hard to prove on earth that you can forgive sins. It's not something that's super easily outwardly seen. So here in this story, this is one example of a time that Jesus does use physical healing as proof of his authority. But here's where I want to kind of turn it back to success. That man, his original idea of success was to walk. But Jesus has redefined his idea of success and has said, you are forgiven. You are set free. Be healed. So I want to ask you today, is the fact that Jesus forgives your sins enough for you? Can that be your starting point in defining a successful life? Listen, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't heal. He does, and I'm sure many in this room can give testimony to that. But what I'm asking you to think about is to redefine and reorder success. I don't know what that fill in the blank was for you, if I could just blank. But are you willing to let Jesus fill that in and say, yes, I've forgiven you. You are accepted. You are loved. I choose you over and over again. 
What is society telling you? And how does that compare for what Jesus has for you? And how are you ordering it? Jesus forgives him first, and then he redefines his success. Are you going to say, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just graduate university, and then I'll be happy, and then, and then I'll follow Jesus? Or I'm just going to do this thing, and then I'll be happier, and then I can follow Jesus better? No, scriptures say that Jesus came to heal the sick. Our friend in this story left not saying, I can walk now. He left saying, Jesus has set me free. His priorities were completely reorganized. Is that enough for you? I'm just wondering, that one thing that you really want, what if you don't get it? But I can tell you this, you already have Jesus' forgiveness. You just have to accept it. Is Jesus and his forgiveness enough for you? And will you start your definition of success from that? If you are a believer and a Christian in Jesus, if you have accepted that Jesus forgives you and your sins, are you living like it? I think we have to ask ourselves that every day. Are you going out rejoicing and proclaiming what he's done in your life or the life of someone you saw, like those people in that crowd, saying we have seen an incredible thing? Are you using the gifts that he has given you, that gift of healing that was given to that man? Are you going out proclaiming it? And if you haven't accepted Jesus and that forgiveness, or if you feel like you need to kind of reorient yourself to start with that, if you're done chasing the world's definition of success that just leaves us tired, come up for prayer afterwards. Anyone would love to pray with you and help you be set free from that. I'm going to pray to, to close this out. Lord God, thank you for your scriptures, for the many verses that you give us that can speak um, to exactly what we're going through. Pray that we would look at your holy scriptures not as an old, outdated book, but one that has to say things that apply to our situation, whether it be school and knowledge, whether it be financial situations, status questions. May we turn to it and seek you. May we seek to honor you in all the areas of our life. And God, I pray that you would be our center and our starting point, that we would know that we are forgiven by you, that we are loved by you, and that we could go out from that seeking to bring you glory and to give you honor, and to jump with joy, praising that we have seen an amazing thing. May we see that every single day. Lord, be with us as we go throughout our week, seeking to honor and glorify you. In your name I pray, amen.